Welcome to the Vets First podcast, a research-based conversation centered around the VA healthcare system, its services, and patients. From Iowa City, Iowa, here's your hosts, Dr. Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray. Welcome back to the Vets First podcast. Um, as always, with me is Brandon Ray. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is season two, episode three. Um, this is the second episode regarding blindness and veterans. Today, we have a really special guest in Keith Queen. He's a Vision Impairment Services Team, or VIST, or VIST coordinator here at the Iowa City VA. Keith aids vision-impaired veterans um, in getting services they need to return to uh, full functionality. And today, we're going to provide you with a little more insight into blindness and veterans and uh, what those causes, or what are the causes of those. Right. In older veterans, uh, there are many major causes of vision loss. These can include age-related macular degeneration, uh, glaucoma, cataracts, stroke, uh, diabetic retinopathy. Um, But especially for uh, veterans who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, who have experienced a a blast-related brain injury, uh, uh, things that can follow that injury um, following vision uh, include like blurred vision, um, double vision, uh, sensitivity to light, and difficulty reading. The VA estimates that as many as 64% of service members with traumatic brain injuries also have vision problems. Uh, the VA has a long history in, in, in researching and treating blind veterans. Uh, on, in fact, on in, in January 28th of 1944, in the midst of World War II, President Franklin D. Roosevelt uh, signed an executive order uh, that stated that no blind servicemen from World War II would be returned to their homes without adequate training to meet the problems of necessity imposed upon them by their blindness. And that really highlights the importance of blind veterans to the VA, um, uh, uh, you know, going after that in, in both terms of treatment and in research uh, and in services to aid veterans who have suffered injuries or gone blind from other types of problems uh, due to their service. And so, you know, to to highlight that even more, the VA has 13 blind rehabilitation centers uh, spread throughout the United States. These centers are residential inpatient training programs that help uh, veterans adjust to their blindness. There's also 22 intermediate and advanced low vision clinics uh, with 23 advanced ambulatory low vision clinics spread throughout the United States. And uh, the the, the VA has established many more programs, such as the Vision Impairment Services and Outpatients Rehabilitation or Advisor Program, uh, which provides short-term, about roughly two weeks, uh, of blind and vision rehabilitation. Um, they also provide overnight accommodations for veterans and active duty service members who are visually impaired and require lodging. And people who actually make it into these visor programs must be able to perform basic activities of daily living, living independently, including the ability to self-medicate. And um, there are nine of these visor programs located throughout uh, multiple VA facilities in the United States. And it's a program that you can look into. We'll uh, provide a link in our blog post here. And uh, Keith Queen does a really good job. I'm not gonna steal all this thunder here. I'm gonna let Keith Queen uh, talk about all of these different services that exist here at the VA uh, and and what his role is specifically and how, um, you know, uh, we also hear a very poignant story from him about how he became uh, mostly blind and, 
how he was able to go on to do great things. And I think he's a really, truly awesome guy. Um, and, and we really appreciate his time for this episode. So without further ado, here is Keith Queen. Welcome back to the Vets First Podcast. Uh, we're excited today to have an expert on blind veterans with us. And as always, Brandon is here as well. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'll let uh, Keith introduce himself. Good morning. Uh, this is Keith Queen. I am the Visual Impairment Services Coordinator. That's VIST, V-I-S-T. And I work at the Iowa City VA. So, Keith, um, I really like to have uh, a personal conversation with you. It's a long-form interview set. So, one of the things we're really interested in is, um, you know, we like to ask people, or where, where did you come from? And, and how did you begin to do visual uh, impairment uh, treatment for veterans? And why does that matter to you? Okay, well, that's a great question. So I, uh, I grew up in Detroit, and um, I have been visually impaired since I was a kid. But, um, you know, the, uh, I was the ultimate uh, mainstream guy because never really uh, received proper uh, – well, we would go to optometrists. I'd get uh, tested for my vision – They'd sell my mom glasses, tell me to wear them. I'd tell her I couldn't see with them, wear them anyway. And finally, when I was about 20, and I could not read the blackboard uh, since, uh, the, as far as I can remember back, third, fourth grade. I could see stuff on the board, couldn't, uh, couldn't read it. Um, fortunately, I was able to read and write when I graduated, and uh, I had been working uh, as uh, – in the grocery store for almost six years by this time in a, a chain in Detroit area. And I drove to an optometrist and he said, Hey, do you, um, do you know, you got a severe vision problem? I said, yeah, something's wrong. Cause each eye looks, it sees differently and I can't see, I can't see stuff at work. And, and he goes, well, I need to get you to an ophthalmologist. And, uh, and then he asked me, how'd you get here? And I said, I drove and he, he, a horror looked on his face. He says, get that car home and don't, I don't want to ever find out you're driving again, which I did. I followed what he told me. I wound up going to an ophthalmologist. I was diagnosed with a uh, fairly rare uh, juvenile onset uh, macular dystrophy called Stargardt's. I don't know if you keep. You I've know, never and, heard uh, of it. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh we have two renowned, researchers at, at the University of Iowa that do that, but this was back in Detroit. So, and, and the, the terror, and, and the thing I remember to this day was, well, you're legally blind and there's nothing we can do and shoot me out the door. And I thought there's nothing you can do. And I'm 20 and like my, I'm looking at the, my entire life ahead of me. Well, fortunately they signed a card that went to the, Commission for the Blind in the state of Michigan, and I was contacted by a counselor, and um, for the state for the for the Commission for the Blind, he came out to the house. He told me all kind of stuff about what they could do, and he started talking to me about college, and it was I, I was stunned. You know, it, I was shocked because we didn't have, you know, our, we were lower income kind of middle income family, and. Uh, college wasn't on my radar. And, uh, so I got to go to college and I wound up, uh, 
finishing two undergraduate degrees. I went in the Peace Corps for two years. I came back. That's when I got into grad school. And uh, I, it was my neighbor who was actually who had worked at the VA in Chicago. He was an industrial arts major. And he had said, hey, you know, you, you might like a career in blind rehab. Now, up to this point, I didn't want anything to do with the blind organizations around Kalamazoo because I could see. Uh, and um, so I, uh, we went up to uh, the program at Western Michigan and um, interviewed. He said he was going to go into it too. Well, he bailed on me, but I went into it, and uh, it was a great choice because this has been a great, great career path. Um, yeah, Brandon has a question. No, no, it's very nice. How, so earlier on when you, when you were noticing you were having these vision problems, how did you manage everyday life? Um, because so when I, I was younger, I like, I wore corrective lenses and I was on the kind of like the flip side where the lenses did help me. Um, but like, I don't know. I remember driving in to, uh, to the doctor and, um, it, it astounded me that, um, like I could see individual rows of corn afterwards. Um, um, but like with your everyday life, like how did you manage well, looking back, it, it was tough because uh, for a while, I, you know, until I saw the optometrist, I drove for many years. I was working at a grocery store. I was struggling like crazy. I'd have to do price changes on items. I'd have to take it in the back and get my eye right up to it. Um, you know, I, I'm not a newspaper reader, uh, or I wasn't because I never could read a newspaper, you know, and because uh, it, it, glasses didn't help. It was a... Uh, uh, a uh, macular uh, disease process. Um, so I, I struggled. And, and so uh, I was always uh, dancing around trying to find, you know, using, uh, oh, I can't do that. I broke my glasses playing football or, you know, things like that. And, um, but trying to stay on the fringe of the sighted folks and trying to be, you know, with the uh, quote unquote regular my friends uh, versus, uh, frankly, I never had one um, device training skill development uh, in the field of blindness until I got into college. And then, um, then I started using tape recorders and, but I, um, then, then as I started learning uh, on some other, um, you know, kind of self advocating and then being, being, funded by the commission for the blind for college, there was some exposure there, but it was pretty, um, pretty limited. Uh, cause I, I didn't really go through any kind of rehab process. It was just, okay, here you go, go to school and, oh yeah, here's a tape recorder. And so it was a lot of trial by error kind of stuff. And then, um, uh, and even when I went in the Peace Corps, my counselor had gotten me a new CCTV. He thought that was great. I took it over. I went in the Fiji Islands for two years. In about 16 months, uh, it blew a tube. So I was uh, without a machine there magnifying print. And I was actually in the um, uh, development, uh, the International Development Bank, working on policies with them in the um, uh, Ministry of Primary Industries. So I just wound up having people read to me. And uh, But when I got back and got into grad school, then I started learning about blind rehab. By this time, I'm 30, so it was uh, 
it was quite a learning experience to see what um, was available, which is one of the things that the empathy I have for veterans with vision loss, I understand what it's like not to have, not to be able to see their stuff or struggle with things. So um, it puts me in tune with what I can help them with. Yeah, it sounds wild to me that you learned to actually read and write when you were young. That is impressive. Well, I got to tell you, that's really, I, I, I'm so thankful that uh, I don't know how it was, but I, I, I can remember that there were teachers that knew that I couldn't see the board. They probably didn't know what to do, but they got up there and when they wrote down their stuff, they read it out loud. Oh, wow. And, and that allowed me then to, you know, do what I needed to do. And, um, and there are others I didn't. And I, you know, uh, I mean, I remember when I took the ACTs, I would, I was in the 90% for math and science and I'd get the 10% on social studies and English because the only ones I'd get right are the ones that if I marked all C's, cause I couldn't read the, I couldn't read fast enough to uh, complete the paperwork. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who some, some were, astute enough to draw me along, along and the other ones, uh, not so much. Mm -hmm. hmm. So what, uh, what role do you play at the VA? You said you're the coordinator of the VIST. What does that stand for? And what, what yeah. do you Yeah. So VIST, VIST, VIST is Visual Impairment Services Team uh, uh, Coordinator. Uh, and so just to give you some background, this is the fifth VA that I've been at. Uh, I've been a blind rehab teacher at, uh, I, when I first got into the VA, I was up at West Haven, Connecticut's VA. I interned in Birmingham, Alabama uh, for my 400-hour internship in grad school. Then I transferred down to Atlanta as the VIS coordinator, then over to Minneapolis as the VIS coordinator. And then I left for 12 years into financial services. And then I came here. I've been here seven years in a few days now. You've been all around um, nation. Yeah, none none of those and none of those VAs uh, kicked me out of town. It, they were all by choice. But um, what I and what we do, we do a a wide range. We have a handbook that we follow. Uh, but then you know, as it's implemented, you know, there and you you know, you start you really if you looked at ten programs, you get ten different flavors on how a VIS program runs. And there's been a lot of changes uh, in development to what we do here. But, uh, I, you know, I've taken, on average, say for the last uh, four years, uh, I've had 90 veterans, 90 veterans, 140. Last year during COVID, 83. And we're already at 25 this year for new admissions to the VIS program. Wow. That that's that's really nice. Um, yeah. So well, initially, what I do is when I get the these new uh, initial assessments, we'll go. I'll have an eye exam. They got to have an eye exam to come in and see me, or well, they don't actually come in anymore. I, I'm doing this uh, virtually, but we do uh, everything by video on demand or telephone. And uh, but if uh, an eye exam is uh, necessary so that it gives me a place to see where they're, they're at with uh, acuities, eye disease, visual field, if they, you know, depending on if it's a glaucoma or retinitis pigmentosa, something like that. But then it, it gives me, and that way uh, it gives me a, a place to start. 
and then um, I go over their understanding and their eye disease uh, and then their thoughts, their expectations. Cause a lot of times, and this is nothing against the docs. Okay. But you know, they're very busy, you know, they're, they're running veterans through left and right. And so they don't get a lot of um, uh, education process. Uh, and I'm not going to say that across the board, but you know, a lot of times there's that we, we, I can help, fill up a little more education on what's happening, especially from the fun the functional aspect. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a supposed social worker. I'm a blind rehab specialist. So I give them a, give them a little, uh, you know, fuller understanding about, you know, the effect of their vision. Uh, uh, and, um, and then we start going into a full range of, uh, services like, uh, low vision, and we can talk about, you know, as we go through here, you can tell me what you want me to expound on. Low vision services, um, uh, communications, you know, working with money, um, uh, you know, the uh, time and management and these kind of things. Uh, working in the kitchen, uh, and then assistive technology has been become a big component into what we're doing in this program. That includes iPhones, iPads, uh, laptops, desktops, because uh, we're really, really uh, introducing and supporting video uh, connects. Because uh, the win to me is I can get a blind veteran, and, and we'll explain what that is as, as well, uh, a blind vet or visually impaired, it doesn't matter. They could be blind one eye and, you know, if, if there's some functional problem now, which has been a change as well, um, then if they can shop from home, if they can communicate with the VA, well, the win-win would be not only do they do a video on demand with me, but they then uh, can do it with uh, primary care, with the MOVE program, diabetic education, their counseling, yeah. yeah. A, A through Z. So um, then I, then, then we can get into the referral process on, uh, you know, what, what I can do. Uh, and again, uh, and, and if it's okay, you guys are going to edit this. So let me explain this. So we have a continuum of care in blind rehab. Yeah. And so you got the VIS coordinator and there's probably 156 of us across the country, something like that. And um, I'm alone. I, I have no staff, um, which, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages. Um, but then we have the continuum of care includes a um, advanced low vision clinics, which we have in Des Moines, which is outstanding. We have a um, and then we have a visor program up in Minneapolis. Uh, and, and that's a different level of service. Mm -hmm. There is a. Um, intermediate low vision program uh, over in uh, Sioux Falls. And then I re then we have 13 blind rehab centers uh, around the country and including Puerto Rico. And I, I primarily refer to Heinz, which is, it was the first that got uh, initiated back, <clears throat> excuse me, in the late 1940s. Um, this is a facility that is a two story structure administration, you know, 24-7 nursing, nurse practitioner, social work, psychologist, administration, and then a complete floor of um, kitchen training, 
manual skills. They they have a they have a they have a manual skills area that would rival any uh, comprehensive uh, uh, training program in a high school for auto, you know, um, motor, electronics, plumbing, electrical, where they can teach guys um, skills. Um, and it, it does a lot of things. One, the hand, eye, brain uh, connection, uh, staying organized and what have you. And some of them actually go back and then are able to do that kind of stuff again. They got, they, they, they discontinue working in a shop at home with, you know, 5,000 bucks for the tools because they, I can't see what I'm doing. Well, I've, I know blind guys and I mean no light perception bilaterally that have built decks onto their home uh, and um, and they've done that after they've learned the technical or the um, adaptive skills to use a click ruler or a or a beeping laser or something that will enhance their their uh, uh, ability to you know you might and so you know me measure three times cut once well we might have to measure ten times you know to cut once to make yeah. sure to get the you know but that. So anyway, the, the centers are quite comprehensive. So I make referrals to these places, uh, which then, you know, uh, increases uh, the exposure and the, the skill set or the um, expertise of training that a veteran has Pete, to offer. What one question I really have and something um, that I have trouble understanding maybe is what is the transition like for someone who has vision for a veteran who has vision to go to no vision. Um, I feel like that could be very difficult transition. Um, you're talking about that transition a little bit. What is an, what is to be expected for a veteran who begins to lose their sight? Well, okay. Um, I know that's a big question. But yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. So you, you got a lot, a lot of the guys nowadays are losing their vision primarily to disease process. They're older vets and they right. start gradually, you know, uh, macular degeneration and uh, to break it into, you know, um, ethnic, but you know, that's, that's more of a, uh, Caucasian, you know, Northern European, uh, type of, uh, disease and, you know, whether, uh, and then, you know, there's management of that, whether it's dry and wet. Um, and this isn't, you know, clear cut. But then you got, you got folks who've got glaucoma, diabetic retinopathy. So all these, all these diseases uh, or a lot of these disease processes can be, are, are gradual. Uh, they, then the veteran starts noticing functional problems. You know, like, wow, I can't see the fine print in the newspaper. The light's a little dimmer, whatever. So um, the earlier that we get that we can get to them, uh, the better. Um, the other end, uh, and it still happens, um, where traumatic, uh, blinded uh, battlefield, uh, bullet through the uh, optic chiasm, and uh, no light percep perception instantly. So there, in both, in the whole. Uh, slew of these things there's a psychological you know loss like you know I, i've severed my arm uh you know and there's a um there's a uh 
process of loss that needs to you know go through. So one of the one of the things that goes back to what I do is the relationship that I develop with these veterans. Um, these guys, I make it clear on the front end that I'm there until they tell me to get lost mm-hmm. or basically until they pass away or, yeah. or I retire, you know, which isn't in the forecast, but, um, but you know, that developing a relationship with them and um, one of the gifts I think I have is bringing some humor um, or lightening things up that sometimes uh, that, you know, when it's appropriate, but, you know, to leave somebody uh, smiling and they know they've got hope that we're going to get together again, or I've got something coming down the pipeline to them that is going to help them. Yeah. I, I even got a guy who, you know, who is, I mean, just, you know, for example, totally blind. So again, there's a big difference between, uh, if you were legally blind, and so that means you're 20, you can't see the 2100 mark uh, target, either eye best corrected. And uh, so you're, you're, you're usually you're at 2125, 2150. Uh, the, it used to be 2200, but they've gotten, they've developed other um, projected uh, target scales that uh, um, are a little more uh, refined, uh, particularly for diabetic retinopathy and so forth. So um, all the way to having somebody who can count fingers at three feet, one feet, you can only see a hand move in front of your face, or you're down to light perception, meaning you can't see a hand in front of your face, but you can tell the lights are on and off, or there's light in, um, you know, the you're going by a window in a hallway down to no light perception. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, giving, you know, giving, giving them. So even with a fellow that or, or a lady, you know, a veteran that has no light perception, I can have somebody visit them and we can have them reading print material. Oh, great. We have That's optical good. character scanners that are about the size of a toaster. The technology is unbelievable where they can take a picture eight and a half by 11 and they can read their letter from the VA. They could read a book. They can fold, you know, learn how to fold a newspaper. Whatever. If it's print, they can read it. And then, of course, you know, there's other things that we go on. But, you know, so the, the, quicker, the quicker that we can get into, you know, finding something that will make a difference to them um, in their life, uh, the better. But... Uh, so that's the functional part. The psychological, that's um, that's a little more involved. But yeah, there's definitely a process. I got to tell you, I carried anger for decades. You know, like why me? Why am I? Yeah. Why am I legally blind? Why am I? All the shortcomings I had with stuff. Uh, but then I, I look back and I figure it was really a gift from God because uh, I love what I do. And um, it just took me a long time to recognize it. Mm-hmm. So, is is so blind rehab? From what I understand, we're here for vision vision related rehab. It's really a multifaceted approach. So you like there should be psychological rehabilitation along with um, yes. the specific rehab for vision. Yes. 
Okay. So that's where, like going back to Heinz, where we had, where initially there was like seven VIS coordinators back in the late 1970s and then a blind rehab center. But that was certainly, you know, you're look, you were looking, working back then with a lot of, uh, you know, battlefield related vets, uh, shrapnel, bullets, what have you. So the psychological aspect, having a support group um, uh, was an integral part. So not only the psychological, but then the physical aspect, getting their hands moving, getting, you know, goals and realizing that uh, there was a life ahead. Uh, and they were teaching guys how to, an orientation and mobility. That was a biggie because that way they could teach a guy that they're not going to sit on a couch the rest of their life, but mm -hmm. they could get out. And then the VA was always tightly connected with guide dog schools so that, you know, somebody, you know, could use a cane properly. And then if they wanted that, um, you know, the, the, the difference between using a cane and a guide dog, mm -hmm. but uh, huge, huge area is the O&M as well. But you're right. The psychology uh, here, it, it's tougher because, you know, I get a phone call. I don't have a team, uh, but I'm very astute to when I work with somebody, uh, I got I got to listen or see them on a video on demand and uh, watch them because um, I got to watch and make sure that they're, uh, you know, following along, that their responses are uh, coherent. And um, because I, I've just, you know, I've, there's been times where I've found problems where then I get a consult over neurology or uh, somebody uh, because it's out of the scope of what I do. It's, you know, there's something going yeah. on. Yeah. Although Keith, you were talking earlier, uh, the num number of veterans involved in the program over the years is um, just as like a frame of reference uh, for someone like me who just learning about the program today, are those uh, numbers that you're liking or do you think that they're, um, they're high uh, in terms of participation or is, uh, is there like, do you think there's veterans that you would like to see or want to be involved in the program that maybe don't know about it yet? Do you, how do you think the outreach is? Yeah, okay. That, that is a great question. We used to only work with legally blind vets, 2,200, uh, and then it was cut off for services, VIS coordinators, okay? Yeah. Um, that isn't how I operated. Uh, we used to go to voluntary service, make sure we could get somebody a magnifier, whatever. Then eventually it changed to a functional vision problem, which is the way to do it. Um, then, you know, whatever the associated vision pro program is. But let me give you some big numbers. Mm -hmm. So there's, over the course of the years, um, there's been a dwindling of legally blind vets. So probably uh, say, uh, well, there's probably 150,000 legally blind veterans in the U.S., Okay, and maybe that's gone down to 139,000. And so this will be, you know, uh, food for thought when you talk to the uh, Blind Veterans Association because, um, uh, you know, in uh, their membership and what have you. Now, the VA, um, and I don't know, you know, get this edited out or what, but uh, you've got um, a money that comes back to the VA comes in the form of VERA, Veteran Equivalent Resource Allocation. 
and there's different levels uh, and it's a manual about 60 pages long and it covers all aspects of spinal cord and uh, interocular injections, what have you. Well, anyway, they broadened that from just blind vets, legally blind vets, to veterans who are low vision. That is 2070 best corrected in either in each eye. Okay. Well, you now go from like 130 to 140,000 legally blind vets to a million and 10, 11,000. Wow. Wow well, was right. Now, let me, I'll keep going. So you go to the driver's bureau in the state of Iowa and if you cannot re if you cannot pass the 2040 line with your best eye, your better eye, you don't have three, so the better eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless you're on the Adams Family Show. Then yeah. <laughs> uh, so you get the better eyes 2040. If you can't pass that, now you're subject to having your license restricted. Mm -hmm. So now that's nothing that I work with. Um, but that is a huge role uh, impact for a veteran, okay? Yeah. Reading the newspaper, driving, and seeing their friends' faces. Top three things, you know, for somebody. Mm -hmm. So, but now where does the impact of not being able to read that newspaper start happening? 2050, 2060. So really 2070 is a, I don't want to, arbitrary. But it's a line that they've, you know, but I, you know, if I could have a guy with 2060 bilaterally uh, and uh, they're not, and they've got a pair of bifocals and they're struggling to read. Mm -hmm. So now with the functional aspect, then I could have a guy, here's a guy that is blind one eye and 2060 in the other. Well, that doesn't. Uh, well, there's something we're working with Dr. Cardin on a health factor project actually in the network, but that doesn't fit into the protocol of being worse than 2070 in each eye. Well, but I still will provide them services, even though they might not, you know, fit nicely into a little box, but, but sure. blind one eye in 2060 does not fit into that 1,011,000 veterans that aren't that are worse than 2070 in each eye you follow yeah, there's yeah. Got, so there's probably seven or there's probably several million veterans out there that and then that doesn't even include vets who've had um traumatic brain injury where they or, yeah. or a veteran who's had a, a stroke with a left or right side hemonopsia or a, you know an inferior uh you know where they the the bottom part of their vision is cut off where they're, so that's a huge mobility problem. So, so when I, you know, my caseload right now is about 470. Jeez. Um, and, and I, and we probably have 350 that have passed away. I started here with about 90 to hundred when I came here in December of 2013. And we've had well, well into like 350 veterans pass away. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we've, we've served, you know, probably over 800 vets. Um, and so, you know, it's a robust pro, you know, it's a, it's a robust, uh, 
process of bringing new guys in, guys and gals, bringing them in, you know, we're doing the, you know, uh, also then low vision. I haven't even touched on what we do there, but the working with the different uh, vendors to cover the 50 counties and, um, but we're scratching the surface. No, it sounds pretty cool though that it sounds like your numbers are increasing as like you're finding more and more uh, niche scenarios like you're talking about uh, the blind in one eye and decreased vision in the other, but not quite hitting the the threshold for qualifying for it. So no, no, I, no, they no, don't give me no, no not they they qual. It's just the the parameters that have been put in print. It doesn't mean as long as they're the qualification is a functional vision problem. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Just, but the things that we, yeah, like, you know, what Dr. Cardin and I are doing with a health factor program in the, in the uh, network, uh, we happen to be uh, because of um, the eye clinic having uh, eye notes that were, and I I can't tell you uh, the terminology, but they, they were able to be modified by CPRS. So they put in a uh, health factor of is this veteran, uh, this way they, the, the, the techs are watching to see is the better eye equal to or le- worse than 2070. If they are, they fit into our little project. Um, but if the veteran comes back, you know, the veteran uh, comes up at 20, you know, like I said, blind one eye in 2060, they don't fit in that, our little project but they certainly need uh, our services. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's not it. like they don't qualify. You know, somebody, I, for me, somebody qu- doesn't qualify as I get their eye exam and they're 20, uh, you know, for, I don't know why, but they get referred over and they're 20, 20 minus two in the right eye and 20, 30 in the left eye. Well, no, they need to go to the optometrist. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, until there's something that isn't being fulfilled by, you know, ophthalmology or or more so or optometry with a pair of glasses uh, and they can't, you know, then we, we need to, you know, figure that out. So it really becomes about, if if I'm understanding this right, it really becomes about the function, the everyday function of the the veteran that, that leads to them joining your program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. All right, Keith, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us today. I really appreciate your time and your expertise and um, we look forward to hearing from you again. Mm-hmm. Yep. My pleasure. Thank you. This concludes today's Vets First podcast. For questions or comments relating to the program, please direct email correspondence to vetsfirstpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>